Listen, you gotta go. I got a class. Oh, wait a minute. Just wait a second. We got a little problem here, you and me. We got this uh, suit or whatever uh, that we're supposed to uh, use. Is that the way you read it? I'm supposed to use. It's a small point, but I think a pertinent one. Well, what I got here, what you don't got, Mr. Hinckley, is a dead partner. If you will recall, somebody shot him full of holes, which is a definite no-no in my book. That's the same one I mentioned a moment ago, the one I go by. I, I think I got a way for us to go. First of all, I run a show. You got any problem with that? Yeah, a little one. Maybe a big one. <laughs> Tough. You take your instructions from me, we figure out a best-guess scenario on what's going on, work from that. At least until... I find whoever was nailed John, okay? Did you read the manual yet, the instructions? Uh, no. I gotta go. Try out a suit? Well, sort of. Wow. Well, well, nothing really. I, I haven't uh, quite figured out how it's supposed to work yet. Well, you should have read the instructions first. It's bound to be weird. Oh, I doubt that. I think that they're as powerful as we've already seen. That would make it fairly simple to use. What's your address? I'll go over and start reading. It's not there. Where is it? Lost. Come again? <clears throat> the suit's in the car. I... I lost the instruction book. Come on, kid, don't play around. It's gone. Disappeared right after you did and before I got back to the van. I mean... It's a long walk. It's almost a mile. Yeah, really got me a live one here. The boy. Look, I gotta go. Listen, you call me in a couple of days. If uh, I figure out how to make it work, we can meet then. We'll figure it out now, Butterfingers. And the next time I tell you something, the only thing I want to hear out of you is yes, sir, or how soon. That's all. That's it. That's the basic drill. I'm the guy with the suit, Mr. Maxwell. You give me any problems, I'm going to turn you into 170 pounds of dog chow. Now, you call me in a couple of days. That's the drill. to lose the suit. I'm Brent. This month our guest is a voice you're no doubt familiar with, but probably haven't heard in quite a while. He had his own Doctor Who podcast for several years, along with a co-host who just happened to be his son. David Huey of Who on Who joins us to talk about his time as a podcaster and what he's been up to since hanging up his headphones. Then David sends us back to the early 80s with the classic superhero comedy drama, The Greatest American Hero. And believe it or not, that's coming up right after this. You two were in some secluded spot. You were approached by an alien spacecraft, given this suit. It has superpowers. You've been working as a team, fighting evil influences in this hemisphere. I don't know what they're putting in your uh, air bottle there, Mr. Beck, but uh, you're beginning to sound like the after-dinner speaker at Bellevue. <laughs> I need your help. The 
If I don't get it, I'll expose you to the world. Our featured guest this month is a voice that most Doctor Who podcast listeners already know very well, but haven't heard in quite a while. Yeah. He started a he started a DVD review show years ago called Who on Who, then shortly after recruited his son Marty to join him. And after several years, he decided to hang up his podcasting shoes and become a full-time pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee. But we drew him back in one more time to talk with us. David Huey, welcome to Who and Company. Well, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. It's it's uh, kind of nice to sort of break the adhesions here, dust off the old microphone, and, and try my hand at this one more time. I think we're going to have to title this episode Huey and Company. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's been a while since we've heard your voice on the pod wave. So how have you been spending your time? Well, um, for those who follow me on social media, you probably have seen a lot of pictures of a certain famous astromech droid from uh, Star Wars. I, I've been uh, I've been building a full size R two D two, and uh, so I've been spending what little spare time I have with that. Um, of course, you, you did mention that I've I've gone into uh, the ministry, but I'm also still working full time. Uh, as a network engineer, so I've I've got two basically two jobs and and uh, uh, yeah, still being a, a husband and a dad and and uh, all that. My daughter's getting married this year, and so yeah, it's it's been busy over here at Camp Huey. <laughs> wow, that's that is a that's impressive that you have uh, that much time and still could take the time out to talk with us and build a droid that which is and build a droid. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Now is this going to be remote controlled? He is, or, yeah, yeah. He, um, I, I can move him around now, but I discovered that he doesn't do carpet very well. So what happened was he, he was moving around fine on the tile. I drove him up on the carpet, and he just sort of stopped. And so I'm part of a, a community of, of uh, astromech builders, and I talked to them, and they go, oh, yeah, um, carpet is no bueno. So they said, uh, you know, you need to um, get him back off the carpet and make a few revisions. So um, there, there were a couple of little missteps here and there. But yeah, he will be, um, when, when all is said and done, he will be fully um, remote controlled. He can make all the whistles and beeps and plays a couple Star Wars related songs. And um, who knows, he may have a Jabba the Hutt uh, drink tray attached to him at some point down the road just for, <laughs> for dinner parties and stuff like that. It might be fun. Are you doing this as a screen-accurate R2-D2, or are you putting your own uh, personal touch on it? Um, well, he's he's screen-accurate as, as far as like colors and all that, but um, a lot of the guys, I shouldn't say guys, a lot of the people who, who build these also do a um, a stage called dirty down where where they they put the wear the the sort of the fake wear and tear on him so that he looks sort of dirty and um, I don't know I just I, I can't I, I can't do that you know I'm, I'm looking at at this thing that I've built and and that I'm you know I've put so much of my time and, and money and effort into, and I, I just want him to be beautiful. So for me, mm-hmm. I'm just going to probably leave him clean, uh, which is not um, necessarily screen accurate, but uh, but he's definitely recognizable. Uh, we, he we, could be a he could be a prequel R two D two. He could, or or I always think of like at the end of episode four at the big you know ceremony when he comes back out and he's all shiny and clean you know before <laughs> everybody gets their medals you know so uh, something like that I suppose. Well, David, uh, we know you from Doctor Who podcasting. So when did you first hear of Doctor Who? 
Um, I got into Doctor Who, um, I want to say like in the early 90s. Um, I was actually, uh, I was dating a woman, this is obviously before my wife and I got married, and um, I, uh, her son was very much into Doctor Who, and I knew of it sort of kind of, you know, from hanging around the comic book shops and stuff and hearing people talk about it. And I had a couple friends, I think, in high school that were in it, but or into it, but I'd never really watched it. I just knew that Doctor Who was had something to do with a blue telephone box and, and a guy with curly hair and a long scarf. That's pretty much all I knew. So um, <laughs> so I was dating this, this woman, and her son was very much into it. He had a lot of bootleg uh, videotapes of tons of different episodes. And I asked him, I said, so, so what's this deal about the five doctors? How can there be five doctors? And so he started to explain regeneration to me, which caught my attention because I just the brilliance of that. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's check this out. So, so we watched the five doctors. That was my first uh, foray into Doctor Who. And um, I just sort of grew to, to really like it. I, I, I enjoyed each one that I saw. And then sort of put it aside. Uh, I remember us watching the um, the '96 movie when it came out live, mm-hmm. and um, loved that. I thought I thought they did a great job. It was different, but but I really enjoyed it. And then just sort of wandered away from it again uh, as life goes on and and times change and everything. And then when the new series came back and I heard about it. Um, I remember seeing it actually before it technically came out. I think there was a leak or something on the internet. And, and so I saw, saw the uh, first episode rose and I, yeah, I remember the show and, and I remember the TARDIS and the doctor and, and, and that sort of got me back into it. And then, um, I started collecting the classic series DVDs and getting into the podcasts that were out there and, uh, just sort of thought, you know, I've got these classic series DVDs and everybody's talking about this new show. And, um, you know, here, here's, here's something I could talk about if I wanted to do that. So thus, uh, who on who was, was born because, you know, with a last name like Huey, it just sort of fit with <laughs> Dr. Who. So, yeah. Were there any other podcasts that you listened to at that time? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, I listened to, uh, the Dr. Who podcast. Um, and I also listened to, uh, Dr. Who pod shock at the time, which was kind of, um, that was probably, if not the the biggest American one, it was probably right up there. Uh, Radio Free Scarl was out, but I wasn't familiar with it and hadn't started listening to it yet. And um, and I, I remember actually listening, very specifically listening to Doctor Who Podshock, to Ken and, and Lewis and uh, James at the time. And uh, I was at the gym on the treadmill listening to them talk and rant about something and I thought I could I could do this I I I could record my own show and and actually I think um going kind of going back in my head here uh I was listening to a a Smallville podcast at the time because I'm a big comic book guy and uh Superman's my 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 guy and um there was a guy that had a, a Smallville podcast and I had written in a few times to the show, and we had sort of developed a friendship, and he asked me to fill in one time for him while he was going to be away, and I just sort of did that on a whim. And he never asked again, so I must not have been that good at it, but um, <laughs> but I did it, you know. And so I, I knew that I had the the pieces that I needed to, to, to start this Doctor Who thing, and so I thought, why not, you know. So I uh, just started it, and then as uh, Brent mentioned, um, 
I, I, I decided I needed a, a, a co-host and um, the show was based on being a hooey, you know, who on who. So I grabbed the next hooey that I could find who was interested in Doctor Who and that's my son Marty. So, What's that like um, going from solo to having a co-host, particularly one who uh, has to do your chores? <laughs> well, um, no, I would necessarily your chores, right? But uh, no, not my chores. But uh, well, I mean, Marty was—I'm trying to remember age-wise, but I know he was out of high school by that point. I'm, I'm almost positive. I, I think he was actually a college student at the time. But um, it was there was a, definitely a transition because when you go from having your own show, it's almost a little bit more scripted, and you do all the talking. And as you guys, right. you know, clearly can tell already, I have no problem talking. I mean, that's what, uh, <laughs> you know, so, um, and Marty is very much the opposite of me in that regard. He's very, very quiet. Um, he's, he's wickedly funny if you get him going and, uh, which I can do, but, um, but he's, he's that guy that at a, like in a, in a party, Marty doesn't walk around and work the room. Marty stays in the corner and just kind of observes you know, unless he's approached. So it took a while to kind of get him out, to kind of get people to, to, to know him a little bit. Um, and, but, but eventually it worked. I mean, there was just a, there was a, you can kind of, if you go back and listen to the first few episodes, it was really more of him doing a lot of, uh, huh and, mm-hmm, and that kind of thing. And, and he hates those episodes now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, eventually he, he found his voice and, and, and then he would say to me, Hey dad, you know, can I do this? And I'm, I was always open to anything. I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, if you, you want to do that, then you run with it, you know, kind of thing. So that's really cool. Do you go back and listen to a lot of your old podcasts? No, no, I don't. No. Um, the, uh, he's, he's got a project, right now he's probably going to kill me for saying this if he hears this but um he is taking our old he he downloaded copies of all of ours and he's working on putting them on youtube so that they're still available because the actual podcast feed is is gone it's long gone sure um so he's been working on that and he's been going back and and re-listening to them i don't tend to i don't have a problem listening to myself but um uh I don't know. I mean, it's just there's only so many hours in the day, and there's there's a lot of new uh, podcast stuff out there to listen to, like you guys. So you know, why, why go back and revisit the past? Instead, let's uh, let's go see what the future holds. So, I'm always fascinated by anyone, and that includes um, actors or, or podcasters who who have a project, and they're like, listen, once it's done, I got to move on to the next project. I I can't because every time we do a podcast, I as soon as it goes out, I, I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always, I'm, well, the the thing that I have the advantage of uh, on that front is that I'm not the one editing. A uh, huge advantage on my part, not so much for Brent. <laughs> right. But I'm always, I'm always tickled to see where, what he does with it, how, how he works it, how it's edited, what he adds to it, the sound bites he decides. So for me, even though I remember what the conversation is going to be like, there's that turn where he's added something to it. So I feel like I'm, I'm listening to it again for the first time, which is, which is enjoyable. Uh, I don't go back and listen to the older stuff all that often, uh, unless I want to remind myself as to what I'm, what I said about a particular subject. But. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think it's, um, I think it's a good practice to, 
uh, like personally for me, uh, the church where I'm on staff, we, we podcast all of our sermons. So if it's my week to, to bring the sermon and I do that, when it comes out, I listen to it. Not because I don't remember what I said, but I want to hear it the way everybody else heard it and be able to say, oh, you know what? You, t- you tend to say this a lot. You tend to do this. You know what I mean? And, and that's how you get better is you, you listen to your speech patterns and you listen to the things that you say or don't say or, you know, your inflections, all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I have a stick-it note in front of my desk that says, stop saying fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I have go. one that says, stop saying um. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> everyone everyone has their um i was in i was at a, a a book sale today and i heard a woman whose um was saying right and she just would every time we would normally say um she would say right uh and i'm like wow that's it's really annoying but i, I but i'm assuming that they're not aware of they're doing it in the same way that most people listening to it are probably you know it just goes right over their heads so, yeah, and that, for well, those of you listening who say write a lot, I apologize. It's, mo- it's, most people annoying. don't have the advantage of of if you want to call it that of of recording their speech in any format and then going back and listening to it like you guys do or like I do or or mm-hmm. other podcasters or like you said actors that sort of thing. So you get the opportunity to go back and hear it. Um, because your, your brain plays tricks on you. Your brain will say, yeah, you said this and this, but they sort of readers digest it, at least my brain does. And then I'll go back and listen to it and say, oh, yeah, I really went around the Cape of Good Hope there trying to make that point. I could have, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, Oh, I'm, I'm terrible for rambling. Yeah. Absolutely terrible for it. And the other thing, too, is your voice sounds so much different recorded than it does to your own ears. So sometimes it I'll does. listen to our podcast and go, that is that's not what I sound like. I feel like Brent <laughs> is putting in a filter making me annoying. <laughs> Definitely far more charming than that normally, aren't I? Uh, I'd like to talk, I'd like to bring the conversation back to Doctor Who for a, sure. a moment. One of the things that we, we always like to, to check in on is, so you're introduced with your first episode as the Five Doctors, which is so much more common than I would have originally thought. It seems to be like that was the go-to episode, mainly because I believe it was part of the the... I know the um, the Key to Time series was released and the Five Doctors released on DVD. Those were the, the kind of the first ones. But you were watching before the DVDs came out. So what is the experience like to watch the Five Doctors without any form of reference? And which is your favorite of the Five Doctors? And then we'll expand it to all of the Doctors. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, good questions. Um, actually, at the time that I first saw the Five Doctors, it was on a videotape. And so there was a lot of pausing and a lot of questions. It took a long time mm. to, to kind of work through. Um, but uh, now, were you the one pausing, or or, or was he pausing I was, to explain? I was pausing and asking questions. He was answering them. And gotcha. so, um, and uh, you know, fortunately, a, a a brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, even as a kid, he was like in all AP stuff. I mean, he was just a brilliant kid. So. Um, he, you know, he he was very patient and would explain things to me. Now, as um, as to which of the five, um, I you know I gotta I I, I love all of them. I, and uh, of course, you know, you, you know that when you're kind of in the the Doctor Who community, that question always comes up with everyone about you know who's your favorite Doctor. Um, I have to say, Davison was my first Doctor, so there's that fondness for him. 
And, um, but I've enjoyed, I, I've enjoyed aspects of all of them. Um, of, of the five that are in that one, the five doctors, I would have to say Peter Davison though. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. And so since then, you've come back, you've watched the movie, you've watched the new series. Mm-hmm. Have you kept up? Have you, are, you, are you current with oh, yeah. the, the show? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I get an iTunes uh, subscription for it, so I have to wait a day because we don't have uh, BBC America or anything. So, right. um, so I wait for it, and then it, it shows up in my iTunes feed, and, and I watch it, um, yeah, um, and, and just work my way through uh, Jody's first season, um, almost, you know, not, not obviously day to date because I was a day behind, but, uh, but I didn't let any time lag. Uh, sure. so I worked my way through it. Yeah. What are you thinking of it? Um, I, I knew her through, uh, Broadchurch. And so right. when she was announced, um, I knew that she would, she would do a good job. I, I just, I knew she would. Um, when I first saw a picture of her in, in costume and the way they had, you know, her, her look sort of set, I thought, okay, yeah, that, that's sort of a cool look. It's, um, uh, you know, I, I, I like that as well. It was nothing really outlandish, but, um, uh, a little quirky, which I thought was good. And uh, I was a little concerned about, you know, the whole crowded TARDIS thing, but I thought they made that work pretty well. Um, I, I do have to say that, that I felt like uh, they were a little too heavy handed on some of the stories, but, uh, that's not Jodie Whittaker's fault. You know, she's just acting what she's, you know, what she's given. So I, I think that's really more the writer's room or possibly the showrunner, but, uh, mm. um, I didn't hate it. I just, um, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I felt like it got a tad too political, at points and um you know there was the the one episode with the trump wannabe guy that uh he 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 made that comment you know why don't we just why don't we just shoot everything or something like that and and i i just cringed because nobody talks like that in america you know but it's like and, and i remember saying this to somebody else i said i think it's the uk's impression of americans you know, you've right. got you got British writers going, okay, well, this is what an American would say. No, it's not really what an American would say, but it's it's their their perception of what an American would say. So, yeah, you know that. But those are just little nitpicky things. So once the so Davison in from the first five Doctors, mm-hmm. um, you got a you got a favorite from the new series? Ooh, um, yeah, probably Matt Smith. Um, Why so? I, I loved the I, I thought that especially in, in uh, series five when he came out mm-hmm. that there was just sort of this fantastical element to him. I remember when he was first announced and I thought, well, okay, this this guy's a kid. I mean, he's uh, how's he going to pull this off? But he does pull off this old man in a in a young man's body. He just does. I it's kind of hard to explain. Um, I liked David Tennant when he, uh, I, I'm always infatuated when the doctor regenerates always. And, and I'm always very intrigued to see what happens to this character at this point. So when David Tennant, you know, when I loved Eccleston, uh, I thought it was criminally too short to only have him for a season, but 
it is what it is. And when David Tennant came on, I thought, okay, great. But then it got a little too... Uh, rom-com with uh, with Rose. <laughs> so, and then it was like, yeah, okay, all right. Um, th- this is getting a bit much. I mean, I still enjoyed it, but um, I-, I definitely preferred Rose with with Eccleston. And so then mm-hmm. I, um, um, then Matt Smith came along, and and it was just wow. Okay, this is goofy, um, but it's also serious. Uh, he can he can do a great speech, but uh, I mean, just look at the lodger. I mean, that that's just hysterically funny. I mean, he's <laughs> so alien there. Um, and then you know, uh, I I did like Peter Capaldi as well. Uh, so I've liked them all for for various reasons. Yeah. So getting back to your podcast, I I did want to say there's um. One of our earlier episodes, we had Paul Heath on, and he was talking about Kolchak the Night Stalker, mm-hmm. and he said one of his things was he's never seen the final episode because it's kind of like he didn't want it to end, mm-hmm. and um, I was thinking about that just a second ago while you were talking, and I realized that I have your last episode still in my pod feed in my on my phone, and I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> what, what, what did we review? I don't even remember. Honestly. I think it was the happiness. Happiness could patrol. be, yeah, it could be uh, because the we the next one we were supposed to do was the Tom Baker, uh, basically the Frankenstein story. I think it's Brain of Morbius. Yeah, yeah, and and so we, we had started. Um, we had we had picked that one, and Marty had his DVD, and I had my DVD, and then the time just kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer and finally i just said look we we um we need to fess up here i mean we're both really busy and this has just not become a priority anymore i mean there, there's a lot of good doctor who podcasts out there and uh, i think we've we've run our race i think i think it's time to to hang it up and and move on Whoies are notoriously um uh, short as far as uh, not just in stature, but also in our attention spans. But uh, so I, I think it, at some point we both just sort of moved on to different things. Yeah. Do you miss it? Um, I do. I, I Well, I, I miss the excuse to chat with my son on a regular basis because, you know, he he's married and he has his own home and, and he lives, you know, 45 minutes away or whatever. So we don't see each other much. I'll, I'll see him tomorrow because um, we're recording this the day before Mother's Day. And, and so I know all my kids are taking my wife out. But uh, so I think I have to go to that. But anyway, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see him. Um, but I do miss that aspect of it. And... Um, I miss a little bit of the um, the Doctor Who community, you know, the um, going to the cons and, and that sort of thing. But I started to sort of step away from that even before the podcast came to an end. So it yeah. was it was more of a gradual thing. Oh, good morning. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Got to get saddled up and do a show at 1030. Hey, do you uh, always hang out at shopping center parking lots? <laughs> no, no, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher over here at Whitney. I was just down here to buy some stuff. They're having a sale at the... Well, it's kind of silly, but I wanted to see you again. Well, there's nothing silly about that. Everybody loves the Lone Ranger. Some thought he was on the side of the outlaw. Many knew him as a... Lone Rider dealing out justice to the law-abiding citizenry. None knew where he came from, and none knew where he went. Hey, you really are a fan. Oh, you bet. You bet I am. 
Only when I was a kid, it didn't sound so... Uh... So, uh, corny? Yeah. You see, I don't think it's corny. I think it's important. In the cold light, justice and morality always look corny, and you can't wave the flag and look cool, but... Like it or not, our society needs its heroes. Anybody on a mass tried dealing out justice today, they'd probably lock them up. Well, maybe, but I don't think that'd stop the Lone Ranger, do you? Well, every time we bring a guest onto the podcast, we, of course, we know them through Doctor Who. We also know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. We ask them to select a show that they'd like to talk about as their pick of the month. Uh, would you be so kind as to tell us what show you have selected and tell us why you selected it? <laughs> yeah. When when you asked me about this, I thought, man, I mean, I could, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm 52 years old. So, I mean, I, I could go back to, you know, way back deep dive. I mean, I, I uh, like a lot of your, um, you had a, a show a couple months ago and your guest said something about watching Star Trek with her dad. Uh-huh. And, and I did too. I mean, you know, so that, that was kind of how I, I cut my teeth. But um, for me, uh, it was a pretty simple uh, choice. It's uh, The Greatest American Hero, which was on, on television in the 80s. I was a freshman in high school when this thing was on. And I, like I said, I'm a big comic book guy, big superhero guy, Superman, the whole thing. So the, the concept of the show of this, this high school teacher who receives this costume that gives him and only him superpowers, but he loses the instructions to it. So um, it, it's part comedy, it's part action. It's, it's very much a product of its time. It's, it's an 80s you know, action-style show, but um, there's some really neat elements to it, and, and I, just, I remember just loving it as, as, a, as a teenager. I watched it every week without even understanding or, or paying attention, I guess, to the subtext. And then as an adult, I got all the seasons on DVD and started rewatching them and realized, wow, there's, there's, some, there's some deeper stuff going on here on, on some of these episodes. And, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I like it so much. You know, in an age where comic books are ubiquitous, like it's, it, it went from... The 80s, where if you were a comic book nerd, you were essentially starved mm-hmm. out, outside for any kind of media involving it. Like there were a few cartoons. No one made any good action figures. No, uh, there were there were next to zero movies, and we had the you know the original Superman movies were um, at least the first two were really good. Mm-hmm. They followed that up with Swamp Thing, um, which almost <laughs> kind of spiraled spiraled down. So you know, at the time you're a teenager, and, and I'm much younger than both of you um having something like like this on tv uh, mm-hmm. for three years on a regular weekly basis gotta be quite astounding is that that your is that your comic fix yeah in a way yeah i mean um i think the incredible hulk was still on at the time too hey, um, good call which, and which, wonder uh, woman i bet no, Wonder Woman be uh, may over have, by, Wonder by Woman may have run its course, but um, I'm pretty sure the Incredible Hulk was was it was kind of going into its waning years when this one sort of came along, sure. and, um, and and that may have been why the um, the production company or the studio I guess it was the studio approached uh, Stephen J. Cannell, who was really hot. I mean, he he had Twenty One Jump Street, he had um, 
I'm trying to remember all the shows, you know, A Team, yeah, 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 all that stuff. And they said, you know, do a do a superhero thing. And he absolutely said, no, I won't do it. And then and then <laughs> he finally came around and he said, I'll do it if the character can lose the instruction book and he doesn't know what he's doing. And and they said, okay, fair enough. So he wrote it and and produced it. And so there you go. It's uh, um. It was just like I said, a product of its time, but but uh, really a neat coupling of two characters who um, who come from completely different you know different walks of life. You've you've got this FBI agent who's you know Mr. Serious and 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 you know ex-military and and all this sort of thing, and then you've got this very liberal-minded um, school teacher who wants to save the world. Um, but he's not, not really mentally, I think, you know what I mean? You know, people who have the best of intentions, but they don't really understand the practicality of it. So you've got these two guys that, that slowly build this, this partnership and this friendship over time, uh, as they work together with this ridiculous element of having this superhero costume that, you know, helps them do it. So, so does this a, uh, something you watched with your family? Um, I remember my dad and I watched it. My dad loved it. I, he, um, he would laugh every time, uh, Ralph, the main character would crash into a building or, you know, fall (laughs) or, you know, that kind of thing. And he just thought that was the funniest thing that to be honest, got a little tiring to me after a while, but, um, but you know, it it was, uh, yeah, it's any, any time there was any sort of genre show on, um, and my dad knew about it, we watched it. So yeah, I watched it with him. How about you, Brent? Did you watch it when it was first on? Oh, yeah. I was on it from day one. <laughs> I was 10 at the time, I think, and, and this was my favorite show for a long time, and, and I watched it every chance I could. I even bought the theme song from Joey Scarberry on Yeah, I, I did too. I had it on 45. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was even a hit on Top 40 radio back mm-hmm. then. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I used to love it, watched it all the time. Um, I didn't realize it, had, it was on for three years. I thought it was shorter than that, but well, I think the last season was uh, was shortened. It, it got bounced around. It was one of those shows that got bounced around on the schedule a lot. So um, the first season was was short. The second season was a full, I think, twenty two, and then the third season was again shorter. So you know, when you, when you count up all the number of episodes, there probably aren't as many as you think. Yeah. I think there's 70, 75, and five of them went unaired. Oh, okay. So if you if you buy the box set, you're getting you're getting a couple that that uh, you didn't get normally, which is pretty cool. How about you, Drew? Is this is this new for you? No. Um. So I think in '83, on its final season, was around the time my family got a television, and one, uh, watching an episode of this show is one of my earliest memories of watching tv oh wow uh i have i have this photograph of of me and one of my oldest friends uh and her family lived in new york and she came down to visit with my family and my parents snapped the picture of us sitting on the couch in our pajamas uh watching television we had this kind of like zombie expression on our faces but there's a mirror behind the couch and in the reflection of the mirror, you can see a blurred red suit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's it's one of the things that when you selected this, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch 
every single episode. Because I feel like there was a lobster man in the episode. Uh, that's a, It's a weird memory. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, or, or someone with a lobster theme could be totally off on this. But I thought if I could watch that and I recognized that scene, I would know the exact date of that visit. Uh, and the other thing is, I don't think I watched too many of them because it was probably on late in the evening. But <clears throat> I remember watching him run and take off. And I'm pretty sure his awkward style of flying inspired a lot of my awkward style of flying dreams that I would have. Because I, I lived <laughs> by a golf course, and I remember I would be like, no, no, he's, he's just, you just got to do it right. If you just run fast enough and you spring high enough, you can fly. And so I remember like, I would come home just covered in grass stains, uh, having like you know pretended to be the greatest American hero jumping around and, and crashing yeah. a lot. So yeah. while it wasn't a regular part of my childhood, it was certainly part of a specific moment in time that mm-hmm. was far more influential than I, I remember because, like you, I was a comic nerd, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot on. So unless you were watching a Saturday morning cartoon, um, I didn't watch The Hulk as a kid. Um, I think it was off the air by the time we got a TV. Uh-huh. But um, I, I definitely, like, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and this were the closest thing to, like, a, a regular superhero fix that I was I was getting. Yeah, yeah, and and there was something for the kids in the sort of comedic action and and even the the straight out action, but there was also, you know, if you go back and rewatch it now as an adult, I mean, you know, the dialogue and and the storylines, I mean, they 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 didn't pull punches with with some of the uh, stories and and the things that they you know tried to do, like some of the ones that I um, I picked out, you know, to talk about. And uh, and I thought, uh, yeah, these are um, uh, these really have a powerful message, especially now as as an adult. I remember, you know, Brent and I talking about it, and I said, yeah, I'm gonna pick a few episodes, and I sat down and watched them because they're all on uh, Amazon Prime right now, and and I do sell the DVDs, and I remember sitting uh, watching one of them and just almost having a lump in my throat, like, wow, I mean, I um, I really. Uh, really enjoy this you know i mean this is mm-hmm. this is good tv so um yeah and and i did get the opportunity to meet uh william cat uh, at a convention um, oh cool yeah I, I i was wearing my greatest american hero t-shirt and um uh my son ian and i got to meet him and it just the nicest man uh just super nice i mean just we we talked i, I talked to him about his mom uh that was um Barbara Hale, she was um, Perry Mason's secretary, was was, uh, was his mother, and so um, so we talked about that and talked about him being on the Perry Mason uh, remake movies that that happened after this show where he got to to play a private investigator and and got to work with his mother and all that sort of thing and and it was uh, it was really cool. I mean, just a super super nice down to earth guy, and um, I think last last season. On the Flash, he popped up on the Flash TV show. He was the one doing the wedding for uh, Barry and Iris. And uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that, I didn't notice. Yeah, that was cool. So um, yeah, but but a uh, really nice guy. Cool. Well, uh, speaking of those episodes that you picked for us to watch, you mm-hmm. chose three of them. There were uh, my heroes have always been Cowboys, Operation Spoil Sport, and Don't Mess Around with Jim. Yeah. So tell us why you picked those three ones in particular. 
Well, um, my heroes have always been cowboys. Um, spoke to me because uh, even even as a kid watching it the first time, because it was about the Lone Ranger, and um, the I have a, a Lone Ranger. I don't even want to call it an action figure. It's a doll that um, <laughs> um, I I got one when I was a kid, very young, and my twin brother uh, got Tonto. And so, um, and my twin brother has always been darker than me. He's got dark hair cause we're fraternal and, and all that. So, uh, for our 50th birthday, I went on eBay and I found the Lone Ranger and Tonto and I sent him Tonto with a, with a note that said, you know, you'll always be my Tonto. And, um, so, so I still have, have that doll. And, um, but, but the, the, the crux of the story is that, uh, you know, Ralph, because he doesn't really know what he's doing, almost inadvertently gets some people injured while he's trying to stop uh, these criminals. And it shakes him so bad that, that he puts the suit away and he says, I, I'm not going to risk doing it anymore. And, and the question comes up about, you know, um, what does it mean to be a hero and, and what is the responsibility of, of, of being a hero? And, um, he gets to talk to, uh, one of the actors that played the Lone Ranger, John Hart. And, um, that, uh, through that, uh, he sort of kind of comes to grips with, um, accepting the responsibility that's been given to him. And so I thought it was just a, uh, it's a great episode. It's just one of my favorites. It's there's, it's not real action heavy, but it's, um, it really speaks to him and his development as a character and, uh, you know, all that. So I, I really liked it. Another parallel in that was uh, about Bill and his mentor and hero who yes. actually turned bad. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that great? I mean, yeah, that, that, uh, that guy that he was in the military with who ended up being a, a bad, you know, he turned bad and, and Bill had to accept that sometimes we put heroes on a pedestal and they don't deserve it. So, yeah. I thought it was also interesting too, where that that uh, dichotomy kind of changes is that the Lone Ranger still stood for something, mm-hmm. uh, whereas uh, this this old captain of his uh, said, I, "I didn't want to be a hero. Like that's on you. I was just a guy. You're the one that idolized me," uh, which I thought was a, a, an interesting take on it i mean there's that's a great there's point a, a, yeah there's an 80s melodrama to it. it's like i'm just flesh and blood see just flesh <laughs> and blood um <laughs> but it's still it's a i was like i always look back at these older shows and think yeah they don't have there's nothing going for them it was just kind of fluff and no it's of course it's not like there's a reason we remember them fondly is there's they had right. a message they had something to say and i i find this idea that of having a hero who wants to give it up because he's not good at it. Like the, the idea that the instruction manual gets lost and that's something that he's got to contend with for three seasons, you know, eventually you'd hope that he would get better at it. Um, And as you had said that it kind of got a little old, but if you're watching a modern blockbuster and that's pretty much all modern blockbusters are right now are superhero films Mm -hmm. that there's always going to be that storyline where your hero either comes to terms that they have the powers, and that's usually the first act, and whether or not they should be the hero and they sh- or give it up, and that's usually towards the end of the second act where they decide that they're going to take that mantle, and then the third act, of course, is the, you know a big CGI fight sequence because it's a comic movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to have a, a program addressed on a regular basis where, you, as the audience, you can sort of grow with this character, and the character itself is unusual. Uh, 
Though I know having a mother who is no longer in the picture is kind of a big deal for a lot of 80s television. It's sort of a, a, a TV trope, like divorced mom or dead mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that our hero is raising raising a son. Yeah, that that was um, that was pretty unusual actually back in in the early 80s, unless mm-hmm. it was a unless it was a widower. Um, right. Typically, did not happen, and so in this case. Um, he's a divorcee, but he seems to have at least equal custody of his son, if not, you know, major custody. And so it's, uh, it, it was definitely unique. Although I think I could be remembering wrong, but I think in, in some of the later, uh, episodes and, and on into second and third season, you see less and less of Kevin, you right. know, the son, um, because it becomes more about, uh, Ralph and Bill and, and, Pam and, and all of them, you know, working together. So, sure. Yeah. You also have this relationship between them and Pam, where like that. It's like you. Everyone's coming into this uh, for a fairly unique angle. That I, I, as I was rewatching these episodes, going, I haven't seen this. You know, I feel like I've, I'm, I'm used to the Marvel movie, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not a formula that they're they're taking. But I would definitely say that even though there are some comparisons between our unnamed superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Superman, right? Like, there's a very similar power set. Uh, it definitely feels more like Marvel's take on a DC superhero ah, than, yeah. than a DC. Because, you know, a DC usually has gods with with powers who are, who are trying to be human versus uh, humans dealing with the powers of gods. Uh, the, you know, that kind of reverse for it. <laughs> uh, so the next one was Operation Spoil Sport, which was the one where the... Spaceship returns to warn of the uh, World War Three missiles. Yes, yeah, I, I I like this one. Well, the the name caught. I remember the name catching my attention first. Um, back when it first aired, I thought, now this is an interesting title, Operation Spoil Sport. Spoil Sport was something that you know we threw around a lot. You know, on on the playground or whatever. When uh, you know somebody would would do something because they lost and and uh, they would just take their ball and go home or whatever they were a spoil sport so the uh, the idea of us having as a as a superpower um, America having this system in place that if we lost a nuclear conflict because this is during the Cold War so if if we lost then whatever missiles were left would retaliate on their own. And wipe out. I mean, what's the point at that point? I mean, you know, we're we're not there anymore. So yeah. um, uh, it it kind of calls back to that um, Matthew Broderick movie War Games. You know, at the end when the computer says, you know, the only way to to win the game is not to play. You know, right? And um, so, but but it was just a, a really neat idea, and and uh, I loved the um, uh, the aliens reaching out to him through the the radio and through the song. Now in the in the original broadcast, the song was actually sung by Joey Scarberry, but it was called Eva Destruction was the name of the song. And I, I remember it because it was like an earworm. It got stuck in my head. And, um, but on the, if you watch it on, on Amazon Prime, they had to change the song. So, I mean, it's, it still works. It's still effective, but it, it's not as good as the original. I actually meant to go back and check my DVD to see if it had the original. But I suspect it was probably a licensing thing. So. Yeah, I have the DVDs, but I watched this one on Prime as well. Now I'm now I'm curious because you know, as, as Doctor Who fans, we also know that licensing over the 
overseas changes and we lose the Beatles, right? So that's right. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 always fascinating getting the the uh, DVDs of WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, they, like the reason I don't they may have it now, but like all the songs had to get changed uh, because like, like the licensing was just for to play it that one time and not for redistribution. So having to go back and pay for, like that's got to be such a pain to reproduce because there's a, such an extra hidden cost to that. Well, I think they do now because uh, I, I have the the box set of WKRP that came out a few years ago, and I gotcha. believe it's all the original music now. That um, because I, I I also have another copy of the first season that's got all the replaced you know mm. Muzak whatever music in it too. Uh, again, another one of my favorite shows. But uh, yeah, that uh, um, I remember when when they announced that that was coming out with all the original music and the fans went nuts. So yeah. So it's fun, fun, fun to get, fun to get, uh, get it back the way it was meant to be, you know? <laughs> so the last one you picked was called, you don't mess around with Jim, which yes. is bas- basically, um, Ralph and Bill meet a guy who had a suit before mm-hmm. Ralph and messed everything up. So tell us why you picked that one. Um, a couple things. Um, first of all, just the idea that somebody else had a suit before Ralph, I thought was a really neat idea. It was an older man who is dying and, but he was a reclusive billionaire and they, they pretty much say that at this point, I mean, he was, I think he's supposed to be like a Howard Hughes type. And, uh, but, but they pretty much say without saying that it was because of his use of the suit that he was able to take advantage of things and and make you know his fortune in the world or whatever until the suit was taken from him but i i remember the first time watching this and what stuck in my head was the scene where uh ralph admits to him that he doesn't have the instruction book and and the older man sort of laughs and he says that could be your saving grace because (laughs) without the instruction book you can't you know you can't be corrupted with all the power because you don't know what you're doing. And, and that there's a moment there where, where you realize that it's a blessing that he doesn't have, you know, the knowledge to actually take advantage of everything, you know, because That's you cool. want him, you, you want to think that he's, he's a good guy, but you know, the saying absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So, so again, uh, some of us are comic people. But certainly we live in a time where comic books are the height. And not only are comic books the height of kind of pop culture, but bringing back nostalgia projects. Like everything from our childhood is is coming back into vogue. And I know that up until about a month, uh, a, a year ago, they were planning on bringing back the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, it hasn't been picked up yet. Like they were going to change the premise. It was going to be a woman. It was going to be Grace American heroine. She was going to be an Indian American. Uh, there was a lot going on with that, but the show didn't get picked up. But how would, well, what's two things? How does this show hold up to a, a modern viewer? So now that you're watching it through the lenses of nostalgia, but also through you know you you're not the same person that you were so many years ago Uh, how does it hold up there and then how do you think this show uh would do if they brought it back out today what would they need to do to incorporate it to to make it one successful and two to kind of keep the same heart and soul that this original 
production had? And this is for everybody too. So yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, first of all, I, I think um, it holds up fine if you go into it with a sense of nostalgia and knowing that it's a product of the era in which it was created. It's in in many ways like Doctor Who. You know, when 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 we watch a Hartnell story, we we know going in that. Hartnell that that there that was an era okay and same thing with you know Troughton same thing with Pertwee same with you know any any of the the past doctors and and even the current doctor it's it's all um it all speaks into uh the era in which it was produced so you you have to give a certain amount of grace to to that I think in order to be fair you you can't expect uh them to um to line up with the way society is now and nor would I want it to. Um, now on, on the other side of it, um, without trying to come off horribly, uh, <laughs> um, misogynistic or anything like that, when they announced that they were changing it and, and they were going to bring it out, but they, but they had to change him and he has to be a woman now and, and an Indian woman at that and all that sort of thing. And, and my first reaction was why? I mean, you know, what, uh, why is that important? Um, and, and I've, I've, I've sort of taken this, this tact with people when they talk about making the doctor a woman and they say, well, it's, it's important that we make a doctor, the doctor a woman. No, it's, it's important that we represent the doctor. Well, I, it doesn't matter if the doctor's a woman, it doesn't matter if the doctor's a man. I, I don't have any problem with that either way, but we're just, a, we can't overcorrect and, and we as Americans, we tend to do this. It's like we, we see um, where we've slighted, say, a particular um, group of people or, or whatever in the past. And we should accept that and we should definitely, you know, fess up to that. But then what we do is we overcorrect and we try to overcompensate and say, okay, you know, so because of this, we're, we're now going to, you know, it's, it's going to be a... Uh, Captain Marvel is going to come in and save the day here, you know, as the most powerful hero, rather than being on par with with Thor, to use a Marvel analogy, you know, um, she should certainly be on par with him and possibly better, but it shouldn't just be about the fact that she's a woman. And so when they announced the new greatest American hero, I'm like, okay, I mean, if, if you have a reason for it, or if you have a great character in mind to give the suit to, great, go with it. Okay. Um, but, but don't turn this into a, a, a thing just because you're trying to get people's attention. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I, I see the, the point you're coming from. Uh, yeah. The, where I come from with generally this is, and I know it's tricky when you have something that you care for a lot from your childhood and you want to see it brought back. Um, I get to see young readers at my library every week pick up a comic or a mm-hmm. book that has someone on the cover that represents them instead oh, yeah. of just being uh, white men and women. Right. And uh, I see the glow in their eyes and I, I see so many young kids with Black Panther shirts on. Oh, or, yeah. You know, like, and to me, you know, or, or just young girls who suddenly find out about Captain Marvel and, and it's a it's a it's a character whose power base is not based on the fact that she's a woman. Like, right? Like, she doesn't have woman powers. She is tough and she is strong and she's competent. And it's right. that is the character. It doesn't have anything sure. like. And that's so important to me because I feel like, you know, it's not. To me, it doesn't feel like overcorrection. It feels like long overdue representation, which is something that, as 
you know, we're all all three of us white men. Uh, it is something that we take for granted. Uh, I get where you're coming from, especially when you are creating not creating something new, mm-hmm. but changing something that you care about. I can I, I can understand the defensiveness of that. I personally don't have a problem with it uh, because you know in many ways changing. Uh, that character to an Indian American woman is saying, "Hey, not all Americans are white people," uh, and this you could change that to talk about what the American experience is going to be like, and that oh, is sure. possibly why we have a, a chance to uh, have a new message, bringing it into the the modern era. Is that um, that that experience is going to be so vastly different for uh, uh, an American who doesn't look like me uh, right so i i would I'm not saying that i wouldn't watch the show otherwise i certainly would any any kind of super show hero show even though there's let's face it a lot of them um but any <laughs> superhero show that takes a different tact and gives mm-hmm. me something i haven't seen before i would right. be super super excited to see where they took take that but that's that's my opinion so no no and, you, and, and, oh. yeah let's 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 hear brent's opinion because I, I i'd really like to know <laughs> well, as far as it's holding up today, I absolutely think it would hold up today. Um, aside from the whole superhero thing, which is still popular, uh, still relatable, it doesn't feel dated at all to me, except for the special effects. Yeah, right. And and the stunt doubles, horrible wig. Oh, that was the wig is so bad. <laughs> that that's um, what what was his name? Oh gosh, I I used to know it, uh, but they used to call him Danger. That that was his um. Oh, was it Dar Robinson? Um, no, nah, it doesn't sound right. Okay, but, uh, that's the only stuff, man. I know. <laughs> but but yeah, but he, um, yeah, he'd put the wig on, and and uh, he, I think I would jump off of you know whatever, and and uh, and do you know whatever was asked of him, you know, stand there in in uh in the desert with clearly with a ramp or something right in front of him that he's blocking so that a car can flip in front of him. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, and I'm watching that stunt going, man. I hope they paid you well. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. And, and you know they didn't. Yeah, probably yeah. not. But this show, I think it it totally fits in with the current movies, uh, like Shazam, mm-hmm. like um, as you were talking about Captain Marvel, uh, in the in the fun of it. Not it's not overly silly, but it it's fun. It's not dark like most DC stuff out. You know, it's it like you say, if it came back now, it'd probably look like a Marvel movie, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They with did make comics of that, didn't they? Didn't they at one point in time they made a, a Greatest American Hero comic book? Um, yeah, actually, not too long ago. I think um, uh, William Cat was involved in in writing uh, for. I don't think it was Dynamite, but it was but it was a, a comic book company that was putting together, you know, uh, stories about um, the same characters, you know, going forward. And I, they probably modernized it a little bit. You know, I'm you sure. you talked about the. The special effects. The thing I noticed right away was nobody puts on their seatbelt in the car, and, and <laughs> I could, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> My dad cut the seatbelts out of our car when I was a kid. Yeah, I I, I do remember that, but. Uh, uh, that was one of the first things that caught my attention. Nobody has cell phones, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but they have the walkie-talkie, which... Uh, they do, watching yeah. this, I didn't watch the two-part movie first. I jumped into the three episodes you recommended. And I'm like, 
are they seriously talking on cell phones from 1981? This is amazing. And I'm like, oh, no, no. They, they're referring to it as the walkie-talkie. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Is the story – is that an alien technology or is that an advanced government technology? That That's a FBI thing. I think uh, gotcha. Jill, Bill gave it to Ralph to, to – uh, and, and there's no pockets in the suit. So he ends up always like putting it in the sleeve. You know, after a while, he figures out he can put it in the sleeve. You're talking about the special effects. It's funny because, you know, like a lot of shows – they use um, they use re- like reverse camera angles because they reuse shots over and over again. So one of the ad- advantages of the logo is that you can't tell if it's backwards or forwards. Like Superman's S, you could always tell in the old shows when when they reversed the camera angle on it. But oh, yeah. um, but Ralph's watch will change wrists, so you can you can tell because he he wears a wristwatch on his left wrist like most right-handed people do and then you'll see it on his right wrist you know in some scenes because they've reversed you know reversed it but uh yeah it's just just they they could do a lot with CGI with with this show <laughs> but, you know and and I I do want to say one thing uh just uh drew in in response to what we were talking about um when I went to see Captain Marvel, I, I went to see it with this idea that, I mean, there was a lot out there uh, that, that people were, were bashing this movie for, for the wrong reasons, I think. And sure. I wanted to go see it because I love all superhero movies. And the only problem that I had with it is that except for Coulson, for the moment where Coulson lets them go without saying anything, every other white guy in that movie's a jerk. Every other one. Hmm. And so as a white guy, I'm sitting there going, okay, um, I feel a little attacked here, but maybe it's my turn. You know, maybe it is because, like you said, not all superheroes are white men anymore. You know, and, and so, okay, maybe I can let it go. But but when I say we overcorrect, instead of just treating a white guy like a normal guy, he's the, hey, you want to know why they call it a cockpit? That guy. Or, you know, hey, smile, <laughs> honey, that guy. And I'm like, come on. We're, we're you know, th- those guys are the exception, not the rule. And unless I'm like really, you know, living in a bubble somewhere, I just... I've, I've been a white guy for 52 years. I've never acted like that, you know? So, I mean, I just... <laughs> I, I I just think we're we need to be careful about overcorrecting to the point of you know it's it's great to elevate women and elevate you know people of color and and everybody I mean should be elevated to and characters are um, you know interesting characters like this particular this past season of Doctor Who my two favorite companions were uh, Ryan and Graham. Uh, you know, when, when, when Ryan got to the point where he called Graham Gramps, that brought tears to my eyes. I mean, it, it just did because there was that moment there. It was beautiful. And, and I thought, okay, I, I like these guys. And, um, I, but I wasn't sure about the, the girl because there were just some things about, I'm like, okay, I don't even remember her name. What was the character's yes. name? Yes. Yes. Thank yes. you. Okay. Yaz is a, a police officer. And there's a scene where, you know, she's getting, they're all getting pushed around by the, the wannabe Trump guy and his bodyguard who has a gun. Well, Yaz is a police officer. She should have stepped up and said, all right, first of all, that gun should not be out right now, blah, blah, blah. You know, she should have taken charge. Uh, and may, maybe they're not that way o- over there, you know, in the UK. But I, I keep waiting for her character to have a moment. Right. And, and th- it hasn't happened yet. So... You know. I think the universal statement 
about this most recent season, whether you like it or dislike it one way or the other i think we can all agree that yaz was underused underdeveloped and just uh i don't want to say poorly written just uh poorly positioned i i think if we get anything out of season uh, the the doctor's second season i want to see that character developed uh yes yeah i think think that's a great way to put it yeah yeah and agree i think if you're if you're going to be a police officer uh, let's 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 see that, and I think the right. actor, uh, the actress, actor uh, is doing what best she can with what she is given, which almost feels like that character was written in uh, after the scripts. Oh were, yeah, were given. and and, and uh, you certainly cannot blame the actor. You cannot. I mean, yeah. because that that comes down to what's going on in the writing room, absolutely, and and what's on the page. So absolutely, and 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 I think that they need to do something with that character. I mean, they've got a lot of potential there. Uh, but they just seem to kind of, you know, start like one baby step forward and then just sort of forget about it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and move on to something <laughs> else. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, here, here's to, to getting some more uh, character representation out there, but I think also um, equality, and equality goes both ways, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, I mean, uh, um, don't don't elevate all the white guys, but but don't treat them all like bastards either. I mean, I'm sorry, they're just not. You know, I mean, just let let's let's all be either good or bad. Sure, and it gives us something to look forward to for the for the next season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, well, until then, David, thank you so much for joining us on Who and Company. Guys, thank you so much for for having me on. This was really nice, and and uh, you know, I. Um, I'm just real thankful. I mean, you know, you guys are, are super nice to even think to, to ask, and uh, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Who